while we're waiting for people to arrive, let's just close our eyes and arrive again. And as we arrive from such a powerful day, we see if we can find our belly. Can we find our feet? And we keep finding our connection that goes down into the earth and feel how the earth is holding, supporting us, and we can relax. Okay, thank you. can open your eyes. Unless the sun is blinding you, you might choose to keep those eyes over there closed. Wow, what a, what a day, huh? Just a normal day for everybody, right? Yeah. I w- was so moved and deeply touched by every single person here and really just by the capacity of the human heart. Isn't it incredible what we are capable of opening to when we have the right permission, the right support? Yeah. So we know here, it's, it's an open secret, it's not a secret, that we don't know what's going to happen in 30 years from now or, or 60 years. We really don't know how it's going to be. But I know there's a lot of people here who love some children or some grandchildren or some nieces or nephews or friends or just care about some young people. And then there's, of course, some young adults here who are those people. And I often ask myself, what can we offer? What can the Dharma offer that's going to help the people who are now children meet this future? Really, what can we offer? And I'm offering that as a kind of koan because there is no one right answer. um, And maybe everybody would have 10 good answers, 
but it's something that has been really moving in me, that question, a lot. Partly because I, you know, there's some kids I love. I teach young adult retreats to the 20 to 30-something. So I, I really ask, what can we offer? Of course we want everybody on the planet to go to a Joanna Macy workshop. <laughs> That's obvious. But if that weren't possible. So... <clears throat> One of the real, like, pith essence ways to say the bodhisattva vow, just the essence, the bodhisattva says, I vow to use whatever may arise for awakening in order to benefit all beings. So if you feel that one, it's so profound. And the Bodhisattva goes on to say, even if the sun should rise in the west, which, you know, the way things are going, (laughs) wouldn't be a big surprise at this point, but even if the sun should rise in the west, I vow to use that for awakening in order to benefit all beings. So that is, you know, it's a totally, for me, inspiring Um, thing to hear. It's a profound thing to hear. It's also a baffling thing to hear for any ego. My ego hasn't got a clue how to save all beings or even how to awaken in the middle of whatever should arise. So this fortunately is not an assignment which our ego can accomplish. It's not something we pass or fail at. We can't actually do it. This is called an inspired aspiration or a wise intention. And um, so the Bodhisattva says, I'll use whatever arises, even if I don't know what kind of future my kids will have. I'll use that. I'll somehow find a way in the middle of that to open rather than close to life. Somehow I will find a way. It doesn't mean I know how, and it doesn't mean I'll do it perfectly, but it's my intention, it's my commitment to open to that wisdom of interconnection, open to the compassion and the love through the pains and sorrows. You've heard this message here before. That's the Bodhisattva message. So this message, this, this ideal, it's called the Bodhisattva ideal, has been a very uh, profound, has had a, a profound impact on my life. And many, many times along the way, since I took that vow years ago, many years ago, um, I've been in the middle of something. I can remember when various bushes were you know, elected president and I'm standing on top of some hill saying, how am I supposed to open to this? I don't know how. How is this going to benefit all beings? You know, that's just me. That's just the fighting self, you know, and that's one of the voices that has to be there. So I've asked it so many times, how, how can I open to this? So tonight... I just want to share a couple stories and a, a few, a little handful of practices that I've seen helpful in opening rather than closing. 
to life. And um, before I share my little list, I want to invite you to close your eyes for just a moment. And as you close your eyes, I would say, of course, we all know how to open when, you know, the baby's laughing and the rose is blooming and they're in the garden. That we know how. So I want you to take a moment and to think, at some point where it wasn't easy, where something was difficult, and I was somehow able to open to it, to be with it, to grow from it, what helped me? Was there a practice, an inner practice, or an involvement, like being in a group, or a teaching of some sort, that helped? That helped you open when you really wanted to close down? So you can open your eyes and just want to hear like one word things. Anybody just want to say what's one thing that helped you to open? Love. Love. Yes. How many people love? Yes. The great opener. Anyone else? Awareness. Awareness. Yes. Anything else? Whoops. Okay. Somebody over here. Sharing my feelings, yes. Doing metta, yes. Nature, yes, yes. Empathy, yes. Community, yes. Imagination, yes. We, we have to have that imagination at this time. We have to have vision. Anything else? Ritual, yes. Animals. The Buddha Dharma. So we could go on. Thank you. Yes, there's so many things. And actually the little short list that I came up with was set here. So the first two, which are metta and mindfulness. Metta means loving kindness. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot tonight because we're teaching both the metta and the mindfulness here. Um, but loving kindness, meditation... It's not just a meditation that one does in formal practice, which you can do. It's very powerful to do formally. But you can do metta, loving kindness for yourself and for others and for the world anytime, any place, anywhere. The more the better. You know, in the, on the freeway, in the line, wherever. So that was the one that was my on the top of my list because that's been powerful for my journey. The next one was the mindfulness, that practice, where we're learning, sitting, moment by moment, to open to how it is. And that's not always easy, but there's wisdom right there. So the next one on my list is, again, something that we've Joanna talked about, is gratitude practice. It sounds so simple, and it is. It's something they teach at preschool. All we have to do is get it. So, giving thanks. Um, Another one on my list, which we all now understand a lot about from direct experience today, is the willingness 
to fully feel your feelings. How this, remember, these are things that I've experienced, by the way, not just in my own journey, but with thousands of both Dharma students and psychotherapy clients over 30 some years practicing. So um, lots of experience with lots of people. And this is the short list that I've seen help consistently. So this learning or being willing to feel our feelings, just what we were doing today, to feel our love, our incredible love for the earth and each other, to feel our incredible sorrow, is part of what helps us open rather than close to life. And the other piece I'm going to mention tonight is in the Buddhist language is called wise intention. And that bodhisattva vow that I started with is a very wise, very wise intention. A great, great uh, wise intention. So the first uh, little story, short little story I'll tell because we've already really touched on the power of gratitude is um, I knew two women, a couple, who traveled and lived uh, extensively in South America in the 1980s. And they were mostly living with various very, very poor indigenous tribes over a period of years. They spent years doing that. Um, And these people, when I say very poor, I mean (laughs) had almost nothing, including at certain times of year, they had very little food. And um, yet, my friend said, that these were the happiest, most generous people they had ever met. And um, they said there were times when the village would have enough corn, let's say they had 20 people to feed, they had enough for maybe 10 tortillas, and they insisted on sharing what they had with my friends. And that was common. It happened to them many, many times. And they learned... Their job was to be part of that group and allow it because the, those people could not, not consider not sharing what they had, even though they were hungry. To Americans, that's a big wow. You know, most of us have not experienced true hunger, and we don't know, would I be generous? So I asked, um, I said, well, what, did, um, what were they like when they were hungry? What did they do? And my friend said, they gave thanks. They sang and they prayed and they thanked the earth and they thanked the lake and they thanked the river and the sky and the fire and the water. They gave thanks for what they had. They gave thanks for each other. They gave thanks. We have so much to learn, don't we? Don't we have so much to learn? I wish I knew who the teacher was who said, um, people think certain groups of people are grateful because they're happy, but actually people are happy because they're grateful. These people were happy and they were abundant, as you said today. Um, The reason I'm mentioning this practice, it's such an easy practice. Gratitude truly helps us open to whatever arises. And I'm just going to underline that with a little highlighter pen. This simple practice, which you can do every day, helps 
us open to whatever arises. So, of course, we give thanks for the wonderful, the joys and the, you know, all the beautiful gifts. But then there's times where it's not easy. And we learn how to begin to have great gratitude in those times. We find, we find the blessings inside of that day. Um, I have so many stories about this. Uh, but I will say that if you're grateful for the dewdrops on the blade of grass that have the rainbow, I mean, you're allowing yourself to be filled up with the beauty and the wonder that's right here. And if you're grateful for the stars twinkling in the night sky, you're not so empty inside. You're filled up with something beautiful, something rich. So you don't have to go consume more and more to try to fill up this empty hole that never gets filled. Have you noticed that? It doesn't ever get filled with consuming. I mean, has anyone ever gone, I now have enough and that's it and now I'm okay and it's all taken care of. It's, it's an amazing programming that we could have it never work and continue to do it. So, yeah, I, many stories I could tell you. My husband and I have a gratitude practice and, a, um, a, and an understanding, a commitment that um, we start our day before we get into all the stuff. We do gratitude and we usually take a walk on the trail that's near our house. So last week, before I talked about the fact, this is true, that in one very day, the day before, the car had broken, the computer broke, and my knee went out. All in one day. Oh, and the stove broke. That, that, was, that was a bad day. And, and uh, the first thing in the morning, before we went into who's going to drive the car, who's going to get this, you have the key, do you know, you know, it's a whole, you got to deal with it. It's life. Before we got there, we walked on this section of trail, which I call gratitude trail. And our rule is, on this section of the trail, we only do gratitudes, whatever it is. So we start, and by the time we get up to the bend in the trail, it's always different. You know, the, it's not like, oh my God, the computer broke up. Instead, we're being grateful. We have a trail by our house. My God, how lucky is that? And the, we could walk, even though I had this big knee brace on. I can walk on this trail today. There's many days I can't because of other issues. So gratitude practice. So the bodhisattva in training, that's us, all of us. Practice is gratitude every day. And we, we recommend that you make an intention, which you can do here at this moment. You can do it while you're at this retreat. An intention to practice some gratitude every day. And I'm underlining a word there, which is intention. If you've ever noticed, there is nothing that happens if you don't first have an intention for it. You came to this retreat, you had to set your course. So why not set our course towards things that help us open? So, um, the bodhisattva in training learns to work. She learns the art, I'll say, the art of working with strong emotions. 
And I don't have to say a whole lot about that because, like I said, today it was an, uh, uh, such a teaching of that. Um, tomorrow morning, when we teach the mindfulness meditation practice in the morning, we'll actually be learning about mindfulness of feelings. In other words, feelings and emotions are not a distraction that we're supposed to repress. Mindfulness doesn't say, don't feel that sadness. And that one, that's a bad feeling and this is a good feeling. That's um, an extraordinary thing to say, that mindfulness actually includes our feelings. And um, at the same time, mindfulness tries to help us learn a way to fully feel without getting swamped. And there are people here who don't get swamped, but there are some people who know what, exactly what I mean. Flooded, over too much, where we lose our center. We're no longer able to be of service. We're somehow getting drained or um, even acting in a harmful way to others because we're identified in some strong emotion. So mindfulness is helping us to feel the feeling fully without getting totally lost in it. And I think you could just feel today that the Bodhisattva learns the art of feelings, learns to fully feel the joys and sorrows of the world so she can fully care for and respond to the world. That's why we do it. So emotional balance or emotional maturity doesn't usually happen accidentally. Not usually. Some people are just naturally very balanced, but most of us will tend on one or the other end of a spectrum. So if we tend to, be, um, to avoid feelings, then it's skillful, it's important to be aware of that and make a conscious intention to learn how, because you can, now this is California, you know, we can learn these things, learn how to allow the feelings to flow. Um, if you tend to be one of the ones who gets overwhelmed by too much emotion, then it's very important to make a conscious intention to get the help you need, because there's plenty of people who know how to help. How do I fully feel while I stay grounded and centered and aware? How do I stay, how do I stay in touch with my belly while I feel so intensely? So uh, part of what Bodhisattva learns, she learns how she, and when she needs to ask for help and support. Because learning all this stuff about emotional balance doesn't necessarily, you know, doesn't just happen. Some of us need to learn to be more vulnerable. And many, many women need to, to um, learn how to bring forward the fierce voice of truth, the hard truth, which can have anger in it. It's, it's a... It's a force, it's a fierceness, and many women need support in how to fully say the no, that set the boundaries, whether it's in their personal life or their larger world. So this, um, 
becoming aware of these, where we are in the spectrum and what I call emotional balance um, is helped a lot by meditation. We see our, you know, we're sitting in meditation and we see where we're going. Um, And meditation can also help us see the subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways that we cut off from our feelings, that we shut down or or, um, disconnect. We We can be aware of that in our meditation. And then that's not something, thank you for the light, yeah, turn it all the way on, yeah, all three on the right end too. Um, if we're meditating and we realize, oh, I'm, I am disconnected, I'm numb, that's not, you will, you will notice that judging that will not help. Has anybody noticed that? Beating yourself up for that, did that ever help? Ever once? Never even once. Uh, doesn't help. Um, it, so in the meditation we learn there's a way to be fully present with our experience, including the numbness. Just to be present with awareness and kindness. And eventually things can unfold when we're finally not beating ourselves up or trying to force a should on ourselves. So, um, as we've been saying in this room, and as everybody here knows, we are living at this time when we are regularly hearing from scientists that the chances for our survival are slim. Uh, Putting it mildly in some cases. Um, The future of life as we know it is uncertain. And that kind of information for some of us is coming at us in a daily way if we're reading certain kinds of information. So in the face of that kind of information, that kind of sorrow, that kind of shock, that kind of terror, we humans tend to either shut down and harden or we let our heart be broken open. And we know where the direction of this group is. We felt that today, but uh, which was beautiful. And we know that our culture is just whirling along in this blur of busyness. And um, all this time on all the devices. And I believe, I think, that one of the main reasons for all this disconnection is because of our, it's a defense against feeling what we would feel if we slowed down and disconnected from all, from all the devices, what would we feel? Everybody would feel, my God, we're killing ourselves. Somebody runs around to defend against that. So to thaw out these frozen places where we disconnect and freeze and paralyze, what we need is so clearly modeled here We need the courage to feel fully. We need to have the courage and we need communities. And I always, it can include men, but I find that this kind of courage builds in circles of women. We empower each other to to say, yeah, we have to have the courage to feel 
to come back to life. Um, poem for you. When we, when we do fully feel, it unleashes the full force of our love and our creativity. So it's worth it. And it's hard sometimes. So, oh, how we love Mary Oliver, huh? Okay, thank you, Mary Oliver. Let's hear another one. Here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? This winter, the loons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the strong, elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which, you, if, which if you have ever heard it, you know is a sacred thing, and for which, if you have not heard it, you had better hurry to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this loon, speckled, iridescent, with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake, was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. Yeah, so, oh, as always, thank you, Mary Oliver for not being afraid to break our heart, not being afraid to feel it and say it. So one thing that we can do when we're in circles of women is validate our emotional experience in this culture where there's supposedly equality. Still, in 2015, in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, the liberal area of the planet, still, very emotional women can be called irrational women or hysterical women. Still goes on. Um, It is not irrational to have grief for those loons that died on the beach or for the 10,000 baby sea lions that died this winter in the Channel Islands. If you didn't know, I'm sorry to be the one telling you. So it's not hysterical to be mad, really, really mad at people who raise money to block legislation that would protect loons and sea lions and, and other life, like all life. It's sane to be mad about that. And we need to circle in places where we acknowledge to each other, this is sane. Who cares if the whole culture is telling us we're irrational? No, actually, this is the life. This is the the voice of life. Women know about life. They carry life. They give, give life. When we finally do open up this, this, uh, our, our feelings, there is a passionate aliveness that can flow through us. You get to see it demonstrated here, embodied in our, 
in our Bodhisattva, Joanna, this energy of aliveness can say no when needed and can say yes when wanted. So we open up to, uh, to let that life flow through us, to become that undammed river. So when the Bodhisattva um, opens to the beauty of our world and when she opens to the sorrow of the world, she's tapping in to an energy that's much greater than the little personal ego as Joanna has said. So she becomes like a mother whose child is in danger and that mother can suddenly give more than everything she's got for the one she loves. That's who we're uh, wanting to empower all of ourselves to become that for our world. So we want to encourage you, while you're still here, in this circle of empowerment, to make an intention in yourself to allow yourself to fully feel and do what's needed if you need to find the balance. Do it for the benefit of all. I'll tell you another story about wise intention. Um, This one... I got married 34 years ago to my husband, and we, naively, um, as it was 34 years ago, we adapted the Bodhisattva vow as wedding vows and stood there in front of all those good people in all their Birkenstocks back there in the 70s and said, I vow to use whatever may arise in this journey with you for awakening in order to benefit all beings. I'm laughing now. I mean, we had no clue what we were saying, you know. <laughs> I was in my 20s. I couldn't have, you know, I couldn't comprehend what would be the all that would arise in 34 years. I mean, I still can't, and nor could I imagine awakening through it, and little could I possibly imagine benefiting all beings. But still... We heard that beautiful intention and were so moved that our sincerity, out of naive sincerity, we signed up and it's been extraordinary. Not easy, necessarily, but powerful. And you know, in 34 years of life, you can imagine how many things do arise. (laughs) Not everything, but many of the kind of joys and sorrows you could imagine, you know, of course, they've come to our, to our life. You know, little did, um, little did he know that I would get a chronic illness which has affected our life every day for the last 25 years. I mean, I was a wilderness trip leader. I was up on mountains. Why, why would he think I would be the one in the bed? But you don't know. Little did I know that his family history of uh, uh, addiction would come and visit our house for several years, 25 years ago. And a ton more. Uh, Those are just a couple, you know, those are just a couple of things, you know, you can imagine. So over and over, we've had to, to, to 
drop into some reservoir that we didn't know was there to find courage and forgiveness and truth and endurance. Just the list goes on forever, what we've had to dig up. And we just keep going. We haven't, uh, you know, attained perfection by any means, let me tell you. But what we have experienced over and over, many times consciously, out loud, one or the other of us will say, oh, we vowed to use this, <laughs> you know, not this, yes, this. We'll remind each other, you know, this is, this is what we meant. This. No, not this. Yes. So over and over, we have had to find somehow to do our best to find how do I open to what life is giving, you don't always sign up for it, or what, in our case, life has taken away. You've spent 34 years of life, things are taken. There are losses, big ones, that you don't dream will happen to you. We assumed we would have children. That was no easy loss. And the list goes on and on. So over and over, we practice to find a way, and it's because of the vow. It's because we set out that intention. I would never have even been in this relationship two years if I hadn't made those vows, really. I was so far out of here with that. But, um, <laughs> but here I still am, and over and over we have found ways to reconnect to the love that's larger than the wounds and the dramas and the hurts, etc., etc., so in the 34 years, um, we both talk about, we both notice that the most growth that each of us, either of us, have experienced came, has come through dealing with the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. We've, we just see it in each other. I, I said, you, I had no idea this, was, this goodness was in you. I never dreamed of it. It came forward through the difficulty. So how many, raise your hands if you or somebody you know has grown through difficulty. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to the human race, huh? It's everybody. So we... There's just so much growth that happens through dealing with difficulty and as we now, pretty soon, <laughs> we're gonna, the whole planet is going to have to, people are all going to have to admit, we're dealing with a crisis. I mean, right now, a lot of people are admitting it. Europe knows it. Half of America knows it. But pretty soon, there won't be any getting around it. And when we, together, face this difficulty, I wonder what kind of growth, what What's going to arise that we didn't know? What can come from it? So I know that if you're sitting here, you love our earth. I know I love, I cherish the Mother Earth. I love the earth. I care about the earth. And like some of the people who shared today, my ability to respond in engaged involvement has been all over the place. 
since the first, I was, I high, marched in that first Earth Day march. Some of you may have been there also in 1971. Some of you weren't even born yet. Uh, so I've been involved. And so I've gone through these cycles where I'll be really into some project, really into some action. And then, then I'll be really tired or have illness, or then I'll be really overwhelmed, and then I'll be really angry, and then I'll be really involved again, and then I'll buy a Prius, and then I'll be, you know, righteous about the Prius, and telling all my friends, and then I'll be in a group, but then I'm too tired to be in the group, and, you know, it just it's just all over the place. So um, I, it's been painful. And I know that it's because the, the problems are so immense and complex that it's hard, hard to just stay on the front line. I know that it's true for so many people here. I've talked to so many. Um, so I noticed this some years ago, and I noticed that the bodhisattva vow applied to my marriage had been so powerful. It really took us to a deeper place. So I made the decision to do that exact thing with a ritual, the whole thing, about my commitment to responding to the earth. This was years ago. And it really has helped my staying in, staying in connection with action. Um, and then uh, last year, I was in another group, a study action group that came from our retreat, and one of our women wrote, um, Joanna has written these beautiful vows, the five vows, and she made a song. So we learned this song, and we would start our group singing this beautiful song, which I wish I could sing you, but without her here, I can't. And um, someday maybe Jennifer will, wherever Jennifer is, um, maybe we'll have a song from the vows. It's incredible to sing it, and then once you sing it, I can go around my house and hum the first line, you know, but I'm not going to do it here, but I'll tell you the first line. Um, I vow to myself and each of you here to commit myself daily to the healing of the world and the welfare of all beings. So imagine singing that a lot. Mm. Hmm, isn't that great? Let's do that. So um, connecting with that intention, connecting with the other group of women and singing the intention, but but singing it regularly, we also have it on our refrigerator, um, see it regularly, has actually helped me. These vows, these rituals help to keep these things that want to fade off to somewhere, keep them up in the forefront. So the two most important things I've learned about continuing to open rather than close to the environmental what I'll call the environmental heartbreak. Um, the first one, I mean, there's many things I've learned, but just the two most important ones that I want to say tonight. The first one is don't even think about trying to do it alone. Find a group of people, find a circle. It's too much to face alone. The second one is don't even think about trying to figure out how to solve the whole thing. Just pick one little piece with your group and put energy there. It's amazing what comes uh, in terms of the mm, energy that you get back. 
And you might be, and, and by the way, we're going to help you if anyone here wants to be in a study action group on Saturday, we're going to facilitate that and, you know, help you find each other and things to do, etc. So you might be hearing that thinking, oh God, how could I possibly, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so already tired. And some of you I know are already involved in a lot of action, but some of you might not be. And you might think, I just can't because it's just too much. And um, what I have learned, and many people that I am in groups with have learned, is that it doesn't drain us when we circle on behalf of life. It's enlivening. It's dynamic. And I hate to say this, but it can actually be quite fun. I mean, it sounds like that's sacrilegious or something, but there's so much joy that gets unleashed when you're together. It's like here. It's love. It's joy. Because we're finally doing something. Um, and, and, and that unleashed energy isn't because our little project is going to save the earth. That's not why that joy comes. It's, it's like, um, I think, it's like there's so much energy that, that, that gets dammed up behind this dam of overwhelm. And when we finally open the dam, there's just so much energy that moves. Um, and we feel the interconnection, and we're, you know we're tapping into this much larger energy. And it's as though we know when we're together that the only way we could even think about facing Goliath is together. And there's something about facing a giant rather than turning away that's so empowering when you go toward it. So I want to so encourage everybody to have the intention to find your group, your people, the intention to be in some kind of action group. You're just going to be amazed at what a support it is. And in those groups, um, you know, there's lots to say, but so much of what we need to learn is how to be with each other. We just have to get this. You know, it's like those indigenous tribes that are able to share their last food and be happy. And we just have so much to learn. So um, tonight I've talked about a few practices, but you'll notice I'm also talking about intention. So the intention to practice gratitude, the intention to feel our feelings, the intention to find a group where you feel supported to be real and alive and in, involved. Um, when the Bodhisattva says, I vow to use whatever may arise for awakening, what we notice is that us humans um, don't exactly often do great at opening in adversity. We a lot of times shut down or we get um, uh, contracted, and we pull in, or we lash out, or, you know, there's so many other choices than opening. Um, so to embody the bodhisattva ideal is an immense spiritual assignment. It's not easy. We could look at someone like the Dalai Lama and say, oh, He's modeling it. 
And he will never tell you that it's been easy. But he does tell us by his life that it's possible. It's possible to open rather than close. So the wise intention, the bodhisattva intention, is this, when we want to close down, when we ought to say, I'm done, I'm quit, I'm out of here, there's a wise intention, like this bodhisattva intention, that's, wiser than our little frustrated ego and we can lean in to the intention and it helps us stay connected to what really matters to us to what we really want to do even when our ego wants to say no this intention reminds us that our deeper being prajnaparamita is saying keep going so we repeat the intention regularly whether it's Joanna's intention or the Bodhisattva, um, we repeat it over and over. The monks and nuns, we have a nun here. We're, we're very honored to have a nun here. The monks and nuns don't just say their vows and their commitments at their ordination or their, the beginning of their life journey. They say them and chant them every day, many times a day, for their entire life. It's about getting this thing rolling through us until it's, it's a stream that is part of us. So I'm almost done here. I can see we're tired. I'll just say, I'm going to say a, a, a poem, not a poem, a prayer that the Dalai Lama says every day. It's an intention prayer. And Joanna actually read its source today. Uh, so we have this beautiful Bodhisattva, the Dalai Lama, And he says this prayer not only every morning of his life, but almost every time he gathers with a group. And every time he does it, in front of thousands, he weeps copiously. Every time. So, may I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. So imagine what might happen in your stream of consciousness if you said or sang that or something like that every single day if you oriented your life around that, that's called wise intention. So the Bodhisattva doesn't say, I will open if I get a money-back guarantee <laughs> that global warming will end in X numbers of years. You know? And the Bodhisattva doesn't say, I will open if I know for a fact that the earth will be healed in my grandchildren's lifetime. The Bodhisattva says, where is it, that um, both now and forever I will be a servant to all in need. Both now and forever. So that's the heart, that's the awakened heart of interconnection. That's Prajnaparamita talking. So as we live inside this Bodhisattva ideal, we're reconnecting with that deep prajnaparamita 
truth of our own nature. So I want to just um, end with going back to that koan I started with at the beginning, where I said that, you know, what can we offer to our children to help them go into the future? What do we have to offer? And I hope that each and every one of you will take that koan and ask what the truth is for you. I'll tell you that for me, what I've been thinking a lot about um, we know that what we embody and model is way more potent than anything, you know, any instructions we give or theories, you know, to kids. So what if we showed them with our own life, by how we lived our life, that it's actually possible to open and awaken and love and serve regardless of conditions? What if we modeled that? What if that's what we could give them? So we can soak ourselves in the Bodhisattva intention every day, many times, to support us in remembering time and time again, ah, here's one of those moments. Can I open to this? So let's just close our eyes for a few moments. So the Bodhisattva vow is too significant, too, too powerful for me to just recommend that right now you take it. But I'm going to just say this short version again. And I want you to consider trying it on for the next few days while you're here, making friends, opening, seeing, is this something that I would want to do with my life? So just take a breath into your belly so your whole body is connecting to this, so your deepest being. And just feel what this does inside of you. I vow to use whatever may arise for awakening in order to benefit all beings.
Jennifer, do you want to sing tonight? Do you want to? I'm sorry if that puts you on the spot. Okay. So in um let's have the bell ringer ring in um let's come back at twenty until nine. Okay, so you have about a half hour and then Jennifer will lead some chanting. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.